0: Media Ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.cornerstone.org, or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. There's an old phrase that uh, most of us have probably said it ourselves. Uh, I think we certainly have at least heard it, and that is, I won't believe it until I see it. That somehow our eyes would be this factor that would bring, you know, the division between, okay, is this true or or is this false? Is this just something that somebody's made up and, you know, they said that there was an elephant flying? I won't believe it until I see it. And so how our eyes became this uh, guardian of knowing what truth is. And yet we live in a day and time with the advancement of technology, and I love technology, that we're able to kind of deceive even what our eyes might believe. For example, you know, uh, now we have a camera. If you have, like, unless you have an old flip phone where you still have to kind of spell things out by the ones, twos, threes, and fours, if you have any kind of a a smartphone, you have that ability to take something like that picture on the left and say, you know, I really don't want that chain link fence. And the, you know, this is Johnny, this is my grandson or whatever it might be. And I want to see that. And so you're able to kind of, manipulate with an app, and all of a sudden, that chain-link fence is gone. Now, in reality, was the chain-link fence there? And yet, what your eyes would appear, if all you ever saw was the second one, is that either you were on the other side of that chain-link fence, or that somehow there was no chain-link fence. That seems like such a, a great, great tool for us to use to get better pictures, and we all probably need that help. But... When we start to really think about this whole thing, you know, until I see it, I don't know that I'm really going to believe. It. You know, until we start using really, okay, what factors are we using to be able to really discern what is truth? In the next picture, uh, by a current ad, this is just from one of the current ads of the current phones. They, you know, you can just make people disappear. You don't want them there. You want just a picture of you and your girlfriend or whoever that might be, and. All of a sudden, you just kind of take all the background out and you make those people evaporate just like that. I read Wall Street Journal this week. They're talking about the technology now. It's not just in still pictures, but now in videos. And they were talking about how this really can be, in the future, a very dangerous thing. Because all of a sudden, they can take your image and they can impose it on a active, not just a still picture, but a video. And all of a sudden, you could be saying things that people would know he would never say this. In one way, that's kind of cool. You're going, wow, technology. And another way, it shows that we live in a world where we can't even say anymore, I won't believe it unless I see it. Because even if you see it now, is there a possibility of being in a world of deception? In one way, that seems so innocent. I mean, I'm glad that we can take uninvited strangers out of our pictures. This is pretty good. But when we're trying to discern truth in this world, that I believe is truly getting more and more deceptive, and the Bible would say that it is, how do we really know what is the guardian of our heart and our minds of what is truth? Because the costs associated with deception seemingly are getting more and more, uh, are higher and higher of what it would cost us. And so, as I begin to think about that myself and. You know, considering myself not as an old man, but an older man, getting older man. I'm going, okay, maybe I have, you know, I've been around the block, so maybe I'm going to be able to discern that. But I start to think about my children, and hopefully they were raised with enough scripture and enough uh, guidance there to kind of know what is true and what is not, and at least where to go to find truth. But I start thinking about My grandchildren this is such a vulnerable place in our our hearts and our lives, guys, when we think about our children and our grandchildren. We've said it before. I, I do not want to go back being eight or nine years old for anything in the world. What a hard, hard world in one generation, or if you want to say two generations, we've come from. It's not that the world back two generations ago was picture perfect. No, it's been fallen ever since the Garden of Eden. And yet it does seem like there's an intensity there, especially in this area of deception, that's uh, probably more prevalent now than ever before. And so this morning I, I have encouragement for you, but I also have a challenge for you. How do we teach our kids? How do we lead our families? How do we lead ourselves to discern truth in a world of deception? My first is the encouragement. God has. Already answer. Look what the apostle Paul wrote to his ministry son. It wasn't his physical son. It was his son in ministry, Timothy. And he had taught Timothy all about uh, scripture and, and all about ministry as Timothy had uh, this call upon his life to go be a pastor and to go out and preach. And so Paul, this aged preacher, pastor, said, okay, son, in the ministry, here's some words of encouragement for you. Second Timothy chapter 3. Let's go all the way back up to, to verse 1 through 5. And look at the warning that it gives. And you're going to go, okay, how is this encouragement? You said that you were going to start off with encouragement, then the challenge. And pastor, this doesn't sound very encouraging. Verse 1, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self and lovers of money and proud and Arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness benign, denying its power, avoid such people doesn't sound real encouraging, does it? Well, how could that passage be encouraging? Because God is telling us this is the day that's coming. In fact, if we really look at the accuracy and the context, he's really saying, okay, Timothy, you already live in this day. See that term, last days? Many times when we see that term, we're thinking in a very eschological sense, in a very, like, rapture sense or something like that. You know, when we see last days, but do you know that that term that is used throughout the New Testament actually has some uh, reference in the Old Testament too, uh, that really meant from the time of Christ, the first coming, to the time of Christ in the second coming. It's a very broad thing. It's not just talking about, okay, next week, Jesus is coming back. No, when they use the last days uh, and the last times like that, many times they were talking about what we would often call the church age, that when Christ came the first time, clothed himself in flesh and dwelt among us until the time that he comes back again, that we've been living in the last days. So that's really the context. When you look at that very last verse, verse 5, having appearance of godliness, but denying his power, avoid such people. Does that sound like a futuristic thing that he's telling us? Or do you think that he's telling Timothy, hey, these kind of people are around you already? When you look at the structure of the sentence, it very much, especially as you look into the Greek and everything, it's he's warning Timothy that this is a time that's existing now. Now we're 2,000 years down the road. Would you say, by what we read in verses 1 through 5, that God was pretty accurate in his description of the world that we live in? That it's not only started back these last days, at the at the beginning of Christ, but that it's increasingly so. I would say that even in my lifetime, it, maybe I'm just old. Okay, maybe I'm just old and I think this way, but it seems like in my sixty years, it has increased. I, and I, folks, we're not saying that sin has just been invented. No, sin, the depravity of man, the sinfulness of man, the fallenness of man, ever since the Garden of Eden, for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And yet there seems to be an intensity in the day that we live. I say this because part of the encouragement here this morning is that God is not reacting to this, but he's always acting. Your God, if you believe in the biblical God, if you believe in the God of the Bible, is not a reactor. He knows all things. He knows tomorrow, a thousand years from now, 10 million years from now, God knows. And with that knowledge, it's not just information, but also what we sing about in the first song, this sovereignty. I truly believe with all my heart that the Bible teaches us that there's not one piece of cosmic dust that is not under the influence of God. Well, given that, if, if we really think about that, when Paul talks about these times of difficulty in Second Timothy 3.1, When we think that God is sovereign over those things, He is acting, He is in control, and He's working a plan. God is not reacting and going, Oh my goodness, I never saw that coming. Let me do this to kind of make it. You don't have a God who's reacting. I hope that really grounds your heart this morning to see that this passage is encouraging not because of what it describes in The Fallenness of Man, but that God is not surprised that God already has a ready answer. One of the things that I believe that we need to instill into the hearts of our children and our grandchildren, and really, honestly, our own hearts, is that the holiness of God, the the, the might of God, the sovereignty of God. But yet... We live in a world where there truly are perilous times. the, The word that Paul uses there when he talks about the last days is, and he talks about how these are going to be days of difficulty, the Greek word there is a fierce, perilous, difficult, as in the ESV. It's a word that was used of deadly animals that were vicious, that were not just team animals That from time to time, you know, the kind little dog that if you pull his tail too long... You know, are too hard might snap at you. No, this was to describe animals that were ferocious that would attack you. It was also used of waves. If you were in a boat, many of them were very much nautical people to get from one place to another, especially in the Holy Lands. There were times that you had to go across the Sea of Galilee or other bodies of water, and so a lot of them had some kind of kind of a mariner's kind of mindset this word that he uses there about the difficulty, the perilousness, the ferociousness, we're about of deadly waves. In my trip to, to Israel, it was one of those, we were out there and when we began to go out on uh, this boat, it was very calm and it was a beautiful day and before we even got maybe 30 minutes out in the middle of the sea of Galilee which isn't really a big body of water we were rocking back and forth and there were waves all around it's not quite like we would see in some of those stories that were told but it changed almost like that that's the word that he uses why would that encourage us because there is no wave there is no ferocious animal That God does not anticipate. He uses that word on purpose. Guys, here's the promise I give you, but I also want you to know that I have realized the world that you live in. One thing that you'll never have to do is explain to God how ferocious this world is. He knows. He's already said that it was such. But now look what he tells. Timothy in verses 12 and 13. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Well, that's not very uh, discouraging. While evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Does that sound like Paul was trying to water down the intensity of, of what life is like in the world that he was talking to Timothy about? Do you think that he's trying to water down what you may feel as a parent or a grandparent or maybe in your own life? Man, how do you live a godly life? Because what was verse 12? He says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life. And then he follows that in. He just says, hey, it's just going to be rainbows and unicorns. Is that what it says? He said, you know, you can kind of expect to be persecuted. Oh, God, that's kind of hard. You're not going to get a lot of people to sign their name up for that team. And yet we have a God who's very honest. And the encouraging part comes is that he knows it, he is truthful about it, and he's sovereign over it. And so many times when we look back in human history, we look at the Greeks, we look at different groups of people, and sometimes they would make up a God or they would think and believe that there was a God up there the God of the sea, the God of, you know, the lightning, Zeus and all these different people. And, and they had to kind of interpret or kind of figure out in their own mind how, what, what is the heart, what is the nature of this God. And so they'd come up with all kinds of things. I mean, it, it seems so foreign to us. But if you look back in human history, it was not uncharacteristic for large groups of people to think to appease a God that they had to Sacrifice a virgin or a child or something like that. You know, I know that sounds like mythology and, you know, well, that didn't really happen. It did, folks. Why? Because they knew that there was perhaps a God out there. But not knowing really the exact nature of this God and knowing that somehow this God could do destruction to them, they tried to figure out how do we make sure that we stay on the right side of God. And they came up with all kinds of different methods. Folks, this morning when we come and we come to this word of God and what we know about God, he has told us. He has said, I am a holy God. He's the one that said, I'm a jealous God. He's the one that said, I have an unconditional love for you. I'll extend to you mercy and grace and life through my son, Jesus Christ. And that I loved you so much that I gave my own son to die for your sin. God describes himself. We don't have to say, how do we appease you, God? God has already told us. The appeasing has been done through my own efforts. But now you have to put your trust and your faith that this truly is provision, that this truly does bring you forgiveness of sin, that when you place your trust in what Christ did on your behalf, that you stand before me sinless. Who could ever imagine a story such as that? And yet this is the story that God tells us. Do you see the connection there? Do you see how we're not left wondering, how do I work this out with God and not knowing who this God is? One term that I, if you've said this term before, believe me, I didn't, you know, bite my teeth and bite my lip, but when someone says, well, you know, the man upstairs. If you said that, I'm not trying to throw you under the bus. But folks, he's not the man upstairs. He's holy God, creator of all things. We don't make him in our image. He's the man upstairs. He's made us in his image. Does it make sense? And so what a wonderful God that would actually say, okay, here's the kind of God that I am. You don't have to figure out my nature. I will tell you my nature. And if that intimidates you, if that kind of brings fear to your heart, here's how you can appease me. And he removes that appeasement from our own shoulders and us having to be perfect people. And he placed upon his own son. This we get, not because it's some storybook, but because we believe that this is the truth of what God has revealed about Himself. So, Pastor, this isn't very encouraging, except for, you know, I understand what you're saying, but look what he says in verse 14 and 15. What's the first four words? But as for you... So even if you're here today as a parent or a grandparent, don't automatically and just kind of, you know, transfer all of this to, okay... This is for my child or this is for my grandchild. You know, start right here in your own heart and your own mind. But understand that responsibility of parenting and grandparenting. This is something that I believe that you would want to carry on in the lives of your children and your grandchildren. And what does he say there? But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. What a powerful verse. But no truth because it's been taught to you. And remember the people that taught it to you. Anybody ever have a granddaddy that was just a wise granddaddy? I have a very had a very godly granddaddy. he didn't say a lot, but he truly was one of those people when he did say something. Everybody kind of leaned in. He was a godly man. He wasn't a perfect man because there is no perfect man except for Christ. But he had a heart for God. And he tried to pass that on to his children and, and I'm the recipient as a grandchild of a grandmother that prayed for me I know daily. A grandfather that knew truth and believed in truth. Some of you didn't have that benefit of growing up with a grandparent who's <laughs> Walked with God and maybe not. you didn't grow up in a Christian home. There's still encouragement. because. But as for you, you can be the start of that. We've talked about that before. That no matter where you come from, when you put your faith and trust in Christ, you are this brand new creation. You start a new genealogy for your family. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Knowing from whom you've learned it. Number one, uh, white-collar crime this day? Fraud. Number one target? Senior adults. Barely a day goes by that my mom doesn't call me. Well, they said that I... I said, Mom, you don't even have a computer. How can you have a virus on your computer? Yeah, but they said... Or they said that IRS is coming after me and I have to walk her off the ledge almost on a continual basis. Why? Because it sounds very convincing. And she grew up in an era where if somebody said it, you kind of believed it. You didn't think that people were out and out just trying to deceive you. Well, we would say, well, that's not the world anymore. And that's not the world that your children and your grandchildren are growing up in, guys. Do you know that this past month, a church... They had saved up almost a million dollars in their building fund. They'd broken ground and they had that money there and somebody defrauded them out of nine, I think it was $960,000, almost a million dollars. And these weren't dumb people. This weren't people like, well, he said he was, no. It was deceptive. The email looked just like the, the ones that they'd received from this construction company. Everything looked to the eyes to be truthful. We live in a different world, guys. Yeah, I just wish we lived in that world when a man's word was a handshake. That was the contract. Don't we all? But we don't live in that world. And this is not to be discouraging to you guys, but your children definitely are not living in that world, and your grandchildren will not live in that world either. So we just throw up our hands and and we just have to say, okay, we're at the mercy of the sinfulness of man. No. Sovereign God said, in the last days, this is going to be the condition of the world that you live in. It will be ferocious people, ferocious like a big wave, ferocious like a wild animal coming for you. He tells us about this, but now he says what? But as for you, continue in what you have learned. And hold on to that. And how, verse 15, and how from childhood, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which were able to make you what? Wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. For those that have young children, and you're waiting for that day that they would place their trust in Christ Jesus, surround them with the word, put the foundation of their life to word, because the Word through the Spirit of God, His Word and His Spirit is what opens our eyes to our sinfulness and the answer of Christ. It's not a little prayer. It's the very Spirit of God through the truth of God showing us that we need a Savior. And so what does He say here? Now, from childhood, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. But for you, Timothy, do what: continue in what you've learned, knowing from whom you've learned it. For how, from childhood, you've been acquainted with the sacred writing, the, the, the sacred uh, writings. Now, here's the challenge. I said today that you're going to get a challenge from God, an encouragement from God's word, and even though those look like the most discouraging you know, passages there that how terrible the world is. I'm saying be encouraged because God knows it and he's already given an answer for it. But here's the challenge. Paul could tell Timothy, remember what you learned and from where you learned it. If we went all the way back to the first chapter in verse 15, or I'm sorry, verse 5, uh, it says that Timothy learned the scripture, the secret writings, the, the word of God, From whom? His mama and his grandma. These two ladies, Lois, his grandmother, his mother, Eunice. They put the word of God in his life. Now now listen real carefully, guys. Listen real carefully. Some of you have actually heard me say this before. There is a difference between being raised in the church and raised in the word. We should do both. We should do both. But please understand that you can raise a kid in the church, and unless that church is preaching the Word of God, unless they are making that the foundation, that doesn't necessarily mean and translate that your kids are being raised in the Word. But let's say that you are. I mean, that's one reason why this is so important to us, to be expository preachers. For, for us to preach messages straight from the Word of God so that you can go verse by verse and say, Pastor, we think you're out of line. I mean, yeah, that's one of the greatest privileges that we have. But if I just start talking philosophy, if I just talk, start talking things, and I've never read that book. Where did he get that from? But if we're going from this book that you hold in your hands as I am holding in my hands, you can say, Pastor, I, I think you got that wrong. And that's fair. In fact, I would be disappointed if you didn't do that. So we raised them in the church. What a blessing. But please make sure that you're raising your children and your grandchildren in the word and realize the difference. Says, So that your family can be, he's talking to Timothy, can be acquainted with the sacred writings. Every time I say this, I know that there's some that begin to cry a little bit. That one day, that girl that you still remember to be this little and that guy that you remember to be this little is going off to college. That little girl, that little boy, more than likely will be married one day and start a family of his own or her own. Raise them in church, guys. Please raise them in church. But raise them in the Word. Let them see the Word of God because this is the foundation in this world that is deceptive and coming after them like this ferocious animal or this wave that wants to capsize their life. The hope isn't... You know, there's all kinds of good things to be involved with. And I bless them. I love the variety of activities that you have your kids in. When you have them in choir and in dance and in sports and this and that. Wonderful. I mean, I really think that's such a blessing for them to know, hey, karate, that someday somebody's going to come up to them and say, hey, little girl, and she's going to turn around and chop them and, you know, put them on the ground or something. I love that. And yet, what a challenge here. Please hear my heart on this, guys. One hour a week of church is not enough. It is not enough, guys. Thank you for the privilege of bringing your children that they can send under somebody like Jeff and, and hear teaching and other leaders that we have and That you can sit in here and hopefully we're 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 correct in our applying God's word, but but understand one hour is not enough because you are exposed and your kids are exposed and your grandchildren are exposed to 20, 30, 40, 50 hours of what Paul described to Timothy. Well, Bobby, I'm just not encouraged by that. Be encouraged that God's word is sufficient. Be encouraged that God's spirit within them is sufficient. But give them the equipment to be spiritually successful. Equip your children, folks, please, to have a chance to walk rightly with God. And and here's the the tender part, guys. In one way, I've just put a, a thousand pound weight on your shoulders and I don't mean to do that. At the same time, it is that serious. And I don't know how to walk that fine line of discouraging you because that's so overwhelming to prepare our kids spiritually for this world. But I never want to undervalue what it said, that by people that you, you, you knew the sacred writings because you knew the people that gave them to you. I, In 42 years of ministry, I know the full fact that there's been kids that have come into my youth group before and I said something that their parents had said 50 times. And they would go home and say, Hey, guess what Pastor Bobby said tonight? And they want to come over there and slap me. I'll never forget a famous baseball player. We went to this conference. And just that Wednesday night, I had this lesson on the very truth that he was expanding upon And yet, I'm not a baseball player. And I'm certainly not a famous one. And so this guy got up there and he and this little middle school kid, I'll never forget it because my side got hurt because he was going this the whole time. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? And I wanted to say, yeah, last Wednesday night. (laughs) And yet God humbled me and said, does it matter where they hear it as long as they hear it? And I know that truth, that God's going to use a lot of people of influence, I pray, to influence your kids. But folks, never hand out that responsibility. Never put that out, expecting others to cover the ground that God has ordained you in the special relationship, in the special authority that you have as parents and even as grandparents to speak deeply into the lives of your children. Look at verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Next week, we're going to break down those four purposes. But for this morning, just focus on this first part. All Scripture is what? Breathe out. It is intimate in nature. This is not hearsay. This is not God's, you know, I think God kind of would like this. No, God spoke to you through his word, guys. He breathed it out. He did use various writers over many centuries with all their personalities, with all their backgrounds. He used that, but he was in control. The Bible says very much that it is the scripture breathed out by God, the very spirit of God influencing every word. And that's why I can put my faith and trust. You know, some people say, well, I just don't like when Paul said that. We have to understand that while Paul had some influence there, God didn't void him of personality. Paul wasn't just, you know, okay, what next, what next? But he was inspired by the very Spirit of God to write this word. This is God's word. It's not John's word or Paul's word or this person's word or that person. This is the word of God. So it's intimate in nature. Paul wanted us to understand that. You want to know the heart of God? Be in his word. You want to know the mind of God and the purposes of God? Study his word. You want to know the will of God for your life? Be in his word. I I mean, one of the things that, that does frustrate me is when people say, well, my God would never do that. When he said right in the word, no, that's exactly what I do. I don't go, okay, understand you can have this God over here if you want to make him up in your own mind and say that your God would never do this or never do that because somehow that seems offensive to you. But if God has said it about himself, guys, either we put faith and trust that that is the word of God or we're going to make up our own God that's much more compliant to what we would want in our own lives. But God has spoken for himself. You don't have to mold him into kind of a, a God for 2023 because times have changed. He's the eternal God. He's the Alpha, the Omega. When he inspired men to write this word, he knew, do you think that God is going, I really didn't think that this was going to have to apply in 2023 and some of the deep problems and situations that your world's in. He knows everything and he's sovereign over that. Truth is, God has revealed himself in his word. It's not up to us to make a God of our own making. We get this intimate look, but we also get an intentional look. Not only is all Scripture breathed out by God, but look what it says. It has four intentions, and that is that it's profitable. Well, the word profitable there means intention. Uh, in the original language, it means refers to that which yields advantage, returns, or results. In other words, you 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 want to lose weight? Eat smarter and exercise. It's that kind of intentionality. It's that kind of, okay, if you do this, this is probably going to happen. And it's that intentionality that he says, I've given you my word. Why? So they can have results in your life. And what is that result? A increasing sanctification in the lives of believers. An increasing holiness in the lives of believers. And an increasing ability to discern truth. From deception are your children and are your grandchildren in need of that? Are you in need of that? His word empowered by his spirit God 's not going to change that. If a preacher is standing in this pulpit a thousand years from now, because the Lord had tarried, and i 'm far gone, and you're gone, and else and it's your great 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 great, whatever that would be, and they're listening to a sermon. Folks, there's not, God's not going to give a different answer for discerning truth in a deceptive world than His Word empowered by His Spirit. And that is the gift that you are to give to your children. It's the gift you are to give to your spouse, to your friends, and your family. Let's end with this. And I'm going to add a word here, and I pray that it doesn't offend you, but I want you to know the intention of this. In Psalms 119, verse 9 through 11, how can a young man, and I would say a young lady, because he was not trying to be gender inclusive or exclusive there. He's just talking about that's how they would have written in that era, okay? How can a young person, so I'm not bending gender here, I mean, there's Bibles out there that are changing all the words and they're offended that God is a man and all this. That's not what we're doing here. I just want you to know, this is instruction for all people. How can a young person, man, little girl, keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. What a promise of God. Of perfection? No. Of direction? Of sinlessness? No. But grace and mercy and knowing that of His incredible love. I, I, I just ask, does your child, does your grandchild, do you need that hope this morning? It's in His Word, through His Spirit from a sovereign God. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. Father, this morning, even though these are not new truths, Father, anyone who's been in Cornerstone for a while has heard this truth, Father, because your word repeats it in various ways and various places throughout your word. But Father, I do pray that we would listen with Fresh ears and minds and hearts. Maybe the last time that somebody here heard that, their child was three. And now that child is seven. And they can't believe how different the world around their child is in those four years. That it's not just the protection of the home, but now they're in school and they they hear different things and they experience different views. Father, today will you you let us know that one hour a week is not enough. It's not enough for us and it's certainly not enough for our kids. So Father, let us pour your word empowered by your spirit into the lives of the generations to come. And let us so live it out in our own lives, Father, that they would be able to say like Paul said to Timothy, Timothy, Remember this word of truth and from those that you have heard it from. Oh, may we be those people, Father. May we be that generation that truly has so embraced your word of truth and become dependent upon your spirit. That, Father, there would be a generation and generation after that following says, I heard this from a pastor. I heard this from Pastor Jeff. I heard this from my dad. I heard this from my mom. And I know it to be true. Let us be that generation, Father, that embraces your word, that depends upon your word, that finds encouragement in your word, even sometimes when it tells us just how vicious this life can be. We love you and we thank you, Father as we pray all these things in the very hope that we have Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online